Hello, uh, welcome to Ambitions Podcast. Uh, I'm Jared, and joining me today is Helen. And we're going to talk about uh, 2020, looking ahead to 2020, some of the key legislative changes and political changes that are coming up. Um, and obviously, probably at the forefront of everyone's um, mind at the moment is, is Brexit, Helen. Yep, certainly. That's the, the key point at the moment on most people's lips. Um, at the point that we leave the EU when Brexit happens, um, there will be the end to the freedom of movement, which will mean that EU citizens will not be able to move here as freely as they have been at the moment. Um, it's a key point for a lot of UK businesses because obviously there's a lot of EU um, people who are working here. So looking at the current workforce and then obviously workforce for the future. Yeah, and we've already seen a tightening of the labour market, um, not just within the sectors that we operate, but I think nationally, um, we've seen a, a restriction in the number of migrant workers and definitely migration from the EU has, has dropped. Do we think there's a, a trend? I personally think that, that may well continue. We may see a tightening, a further tightening. Yeah, I think that would be the case. I think that there's been uncertainty. I think sometimes there's been a, a mixed message for some workers. Um, we certainly saw that we had less people um, coming to the, the country and uh, you know being available for work. Yeah. I think there's probably a little bit more of balance now. We're hoping that the government is getting a better message out there now. Um, certainly for EU um, nationals who have been resident in the UK for um, you know five years, is they are able now to apply for settled status and we hope that that message is getting out there. Certainly we have people within our own business who have applied successfully. Uh, I think it's quite a simple process. It came through quite quickly. Yeah. Um, if you've been here less than two years, then ultimately you can then um, continue to um, apply and then if you reach your settled status in five years time. Yeah, yeah. I think there's perhaps still a, an uncertainty. You know, I've got have friends who one I was speaking to a couple of weeks ago, who's been here 41 years. And I think part of the um, the reason, I think she's probably slightly aggrieved at having to apply for such yeah. status, but she didn't know it was now free, uh, which I thought was interesting. Uh, so she's obviously not got that message. I don't know whether that message is, is fully out there. No, no. I know there's been a huge number of applications, I think well in excess of 2 million at the last count. And I think only one or two people have been denied settled status. But I'd love to know the demographics within that because I think within the 3.6 million EU migrants, a significant proportion of them are from the EU 14, so France, Italy, Spain. Mm. It'd be interesting to see how many Romanians and Bulgarians have applied, or, or Polish, Latvians, Lithuanians, etc. I, I don't have don't have that data to hand, but certainly the uptake is gen generally quite positive. I and think. you think, and you think they would be applying, wouldn't you? As you say, it's a, a it will be a unique opportunity to take this at this at this at this junction. Yeah, yeah. well, I've heard it referred to as a golden ticket, because what it does is it doesn't just secure your future in the UK, but it also secures your future, your your access to public funds, so benefits, okay. healthcare system, yep. education, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Whatever we settle upon in terms of future immigration, it's almost certain that that immigration permission won't come with the benefits that we have. So um, I think if people understood that fully, they'd be chomping at the bit to get settled status. Um, regardless of whether it was their intention to stay here permanently or not. Yeah, and certainly they would be coming now, wouldn't they, and, yeah. and taking that opportunity. Because yeah. I think once we leave the EU, then um, 
that they, people will still be able to come and work here yeah. as they do now up to the point in December 2020. Yeah. Um, but I think that opportunity to come now and, and get settled status before we leave, yeah. before Brexit, whatever date that will be, yeah. um, that's a, an important opportunity. Yeah. So we know if we go out with no deal on Brexit day, we know we've got EU TLR, temporary leave to remain. I haven't seen a cost associated with that. I don't know normally a visa costs money. Part of my concern would be that any visa which actually costs, mm. but people require to put their hand in their pocket, will mean that fewer people are likely to do it. If we leave with a deal, then the EU TLR doesn't come into play, and we go straight on to a future immigration system in 2021. Yeah, and that's yet to be finalised, but it's likely to be points based. And if they come on that temporary scheme, then they're able to stay for 36 months, aren't they, if they apply for that successfully. So at least that would give them some continuity and some certainty. But as you say, that's in a no-deal situation. Yeah. The other thing that's been interesting I've been following, we've obviously had now a year of the seasonal workers pilot scheme, and that was two providers recruiting 2,500 workers. I think they brought them from Ukraine, I think they went out there. The feedback, as I understand it, has been really positive. And anecdotally, I think they've said that they could have recruited 10 times as many as they were permitted okay. to. So it looks like that wherever, whatever direction we go in, places like Ukraine or Belarus, as been mentioned, may form part of some sort of seasonal workers' immigration scheme. Yeah, as, a, as a source. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah. But it'd be interesting to see if it is just seasonal workers, then, you know, predominantly horticulture, agriculture. Um, it'd be interesting to see how we can... Uh, maintain demand for all those clients, all those businesses mm, that mm. aren't technically seen. And certainly from a seasonal perspective, that will be interesting for Lincolnshire with the, the, the rural aspect and the, yeah. and the farming and that, that industry. It's particularly relevant. Yeah. Potentially the biggest thing impacting this isn't necessarily um, whether they can come, whether they have to have a visa or not. I think it's whether it's commercially uh, beneficial for them to do so. Since the referendum, we've seen pound has, has declined against the uh, the euro and other European currencies, if that were to pick up again, if we had a positive outcome to Brexit and eventually got the, whatever deal it is, gets done, and if we saw a return of our of the pound and the pound strengthening, then we may see some greater migration, because without a shadow of a doubt, we do need migrant workers. Mm. There, there isn't an immediate, readily available source of workers to take the place of mm. those people. And it, as you said, it needs to be attractive enough. Yeah. doesn't it and I think uh, I think they have been concerned about coming and as you say if there's a financial element to it then that that makes the difference yeah. doesn't it it does so Brexit's not the only thing right but clearly it has an impact on the um, the industry the bar the labor market mm-hmm. I noticed recently if we talk about the labor market generally the REC put out some statistics that employer confidence in the economy is at a uh, lowest point since 2016 and I think if I recall correctly what they were saying is that um, employers have little capacity within their existing workforce to 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 increase production, um, but they're not very confident about making new hires because of perhaps the that investment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and I know we're still remaining in a very very tight labour market. Unemployment is at historically low levels. The level of vacancies is still not at its highest, but but still very very mm. high. 
I think we've seen that within our own business as well. See, we are recruiters. I think there are some in, um, companies, industries who aren't recruiting, but others that perhaps back that trend and have decided that, yes, they need to recruit and they'll recruit now. But uh, I think you're right. I think the CIPD said that uh, compared to um, 2018, 2019, there has been a lack of confidence with regards to whether um, people should be investing in recruitment. The other thing I'd be interested to see play out, as well as a lack of available labour, um, we've also seen perhaps a degradation in quality, the perception of quality in terms of the skills and capabilities of some workers. Mm -hmm. so it'd be interesting to see whatever immigration system we have in place, whether that addresses that issue. Um, because I think that's that's been a challenge. Key skilled roles are, are harder to recruit. Um, yeah. So it'd, so it'd be interesting to see what happens there. Certainly, I think initially, I think there were there were skills across the board, but I think it has become tighter. Yeah. Um, I think there's, as you say, there's less people going after the job, so it's yeah. it's more difficult to find those that talent when you need it. Yeah. And coming fairly early in 2020, we've got the Good Work Plan. Yes, that's correct. It was an yeah. outcome of the Taylor Report. Yeah. And in certainly probably the bigger elements of that, the biggest the immediate impact is the repeal of Swedish derogation, um, which will affect the, as a recruitment industry, that will have a, potentially a huge impact. Yeah, so so, so on that basis, um, what, what they've said is that the Swedish derogation contract will be repealed in April 2020. Um, and at the moment, um, temporary workers that are on a Swedish derogation contract are not entitled to equal pay compared to a comparable permanent employee working within the same organisation. Yeah. Uh, and the Taylor report found that they felt that, that wasn't something that should continue and the Good Work Plan has implemented that, which means that that will be repealed in, in April. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see how the industry and employers react to that, because yeah. obviously that there's a considerable cost to that piece of legislation. Um, paying workers' parity, and, and, and look, I think it's justified from an ethical and moral perspective. Mm -hmm. um, be interesting to see the recruitment industry generally has quite a strong track record in finding other solutions to this um, that might offer the same potential cost savings yeah. that, that Swedish derogation clearly is. It'd be interesting to see in April. If anyone comes out and says, yeah. you know, this what, is what, what happens, doing, what, yeah, I'm watch sure, this space. I'm and sure as you say, there are a, a number of organisations and industries that are operating using that model and yeah. have done for some time. So it, it will have an impact. So I think, you know, there will be some change. Yeah. There was another piece in the Good Work Plan. Um, relating to holiday pay and the calculation of that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So at the moment, for workers who don't have a consistent um, number of working hours, people that vary their hours over weeks and months, um, when calculating their, their, their holiday pay, it's calculated over a 12-week reference period. Yeah. Um, and the Good Work Plan thought that that was not uh, really a fair reflection. So, for example, if someone has worked a lot of hours, uh, really they'd have to take their holiday within 12 weeks of that uplift because otherwise their average um, they'd lose the average. Yeah. So the idea that it's, it's more reflective to look over a 52 week period, yeah. it's more reflective for the individual and also for the company that's paying the holiday pay as well. Because yeah. um, you might get a peak period where someone's very busy and really it just equals out those those peaks and troughs. So you look at an average over a longer period. Yeah. Okay. Um, changes to the way we issue contracts? Information yeah, email. that's another thing. Um, at the moment, um, 
everyone who's an employee is entitled to be, to be given their written terms and conditions um, within eight weeks of starting a permanent position. Um, from April, there will be a requirement to issue terms, written terms and employment contracts from day one. Yeah. And again, that was really so that employers can have transparency transparency for yeah. what they're going into and what they're taking up when they take up a position. Um, and similarly, similar to that is the situation where temporary workers now will be required to be given a what they call a key working document, key information document. Uh, and that will set out details of the contract that they're engaged on, the relationship they have with their agency, um, key benefits and holiday pay. Yeah. So again, there's that transparency and that's really what the Good Work Plan yeah. was looking for, for was more of a balance between employers and workers. And, uh, you know, uh, so it's more transparent across the board. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing, I think particularly um, subject to, to audits, we've seen some feedback where we've got large numbers of um, migrant workers who, whose uh, first language isn't English. Mm -hmm. um, they've questioned their ability to understand the contract, a complex employment contract that we issue. So I think a, a key facts document is a, yeah. a, a good thing. Of course, this along with all the other changes, 2020 is going to be a very interesting year, what with Brexit playing out and the Taylor Report, uh, the Good Work Plan. Um, there's probably a, an increased burden upon recruiters and HR uh, yes. professionals. It'd be interesting to see how that how that impacts if it, if it does the, the the costs, the fees that agencies are charging. Because I can see with all this legislation, it's administratively burdensome. You know, it's it's going to require more time, more people to do the checks. To, to that's right, the visas, yeah. yeah. All those things. Yeah. So certainly, yeah, that's something that we're working hard on behind the scenes to uh, get all our ducks in a row in that respect. But you're right; it's uh, someone's got to then administer yeah. these changes and making sure that we're compliant. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see combined if we think about all these factors we talk about what it all what the impact will be on, on pay rates. You know, will we see a, an inflate wage inflation as a result of it as the labour market continues to mm. tighten as as pay rates increase because of the uh, removal the repeal of Swedish derogation. How's that going to have an impact? Uh, are we going to see an inflation of agency worker or low-paid workers' rates uh, over and above what was what would have mm. been planned for April anyway? So yeah. all sorts of things to consider. But uh, it'll be an interesting year. So watch this space. Yeah.